first speaker, and uh, we have Mr. Fernando Montes here tonight, and he's going to be speaking, and guess what, you guys, he is all the way from Southern California for you to hear somebody fresh and new. So Thank you, Nicole. And thank you, Jennifer. They're recommended. And uh, as you can tell, I'm a little nervous. I prepare so much, I went blue. Fernando Alcoholic, I am here fully clothed and in my right mind. I want to thank the judge and the attorney that, that uh, railroaded me to coming to AA and Anabuse School so many years ago. I was, uh, my home group is West Oaks Grove in Glendora, California, under an oak tree. You know, a bunch of oaks out there. We, we, uh, we do sobriety there and seven days a week, so you're welcome. We just started barbecue and we started uh, noon meetings. Well, noon meetings have been going on for a long time. We got about 14. Then we started Al-Anon out there too. Change it up a little bit cause, uh, because of COVID. You know, we, we just started so many meetings and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's running really good. So my home group is, is 26 miles this way from the Los Angeles Dodger Stadium. <laughs> That's what happens when I'm in, uh, at the fair over there in uh, San Jose. All the guys, they love me. Well, my story is a very long story. You see, you say, how long was it? How long is it, Fernando? But first, I'd like to see uh, how many of you uh, have ever uh, stolen a car? No. <laughs> <laughs> my story started uh, I don't know if you have seen that movie of uh, when these guys jumped off the train and stuff uh, I was about six years old me and my brother jumped in back of a, a train that was leaving out of town it was going slow and as soon as we hopped on it it looked like it started taking off we we're just little kids and I saw the, a movie where these two guys jumped off and it just reminded me when me and my brother, I saw my older brother jump because he was taking us out of town and tumbling down the ro rocks. Then it was my turn and I jumped. And by the time we got home, we were, it, was, it, was, it was late and we were six and we were always trying to run away from home because of all the chaos at home. You know, the, the beer, the drinking and, and all the, the problems that were in, uh, at our home. I took my first drink in Ensenada, California. I was six. <laughs> I was, uh, my parents argued so much about beer and la cerveza, la cerveza, the double X. And one morning I got up and I saw it and, and they're arguing and I just was just creeped up to it. And I said, what is this amazing beverage that has my parents all riled up? You know, so when I took a drink, of, oh man, this is, this is, it was on. No. <laughs> I, uh, I got a job selling newspapers, then selling vegetables door to door and stuff. And then I got my first uh, seminar in, in earning money. There's this kid telling me that his dad got run over on the railroad tracks and now he had to support his family. He was eight, I was six. And then he got me to go downtown to the Revolución down Tijuana and sell newspapers with him. Up and down. My mom didn't know I, I, I went. And I made a little bit of money. And afterwards, when he gave me that, that seminar talk, he said, a man always has money in his pocket. 
you know, and he pulled out a wad of money, and he's eight years old. And he says, you see these road trucks right here? My dad died here, drunk. The train got him. Now I got to take care of my mother. And, you know, and he paid me. He paid me, I went home, and uh, that, was, that was, I guess, the greatest thing because uh, it made me, one year when I, we came to the United States, I started driving semi and drinking, and, uh, and I got uh, 32 W-2s in one year for di different uh, driving companies and so forth. But uh, me and school didn't get along. I always liked to go fishing and so forth. And I don't know about a lot of us, but when we're, we're growing up, we like to uh, save the world. You know, I, if somebody would do something wrong in the house, I had three older siblings and then a younger one. And when something, uh, my mom said that I would step up and take the blame. So, you know, I did it, you know, just to keep the calm and stuff. So one day I thought I wasn't going to school. I thought, and my mom was, uh, she just happened to be divorced now. My dad didn't come with us, you know. She had to make it over here. There was five of us, and then she was a seamstress, and uh, living in the Los Angeles area, Echo Park area, a very rough area. Um, and she had a lot of garments with different colors on them. So I decided that I'm going to fight for good. I think I'm nine years old by ten, and I put these things around me, and I go to the park looking for anything that was going to be wrong, and I was going to fix it. And I'm walking through Echo Park all the way around. And I see ducks and people playing, elderly people walking. And I said, wow, man, this is a pretty nice world. You know, everything is so calm, so prestige. And finally, I found my first situation. Somebody had bought some beer. They brought it and they threw it in the car and they left. And I looked around and I said, that's enough of being good. Let's, let's grab that beer, <laughs> take it to the park. And I started drinking it. And um, me and my friends, we, we stopped collecting the, the, the uh, comics, and the great beer run was on. How are we going to get more of this brew? And the clubhouse, you know, it, it, it shut down, turned into a party house. We started getting older, uh, 12, 13. And we, I figured ways, these are the ways that we started getting more money. Grab a purse from a lady and run down Sunset Boulevard. I did that. And uh, <clears throat> go into someone's house when they went shopping and take their piggy bank for beer. And then we go and buy it. Um, roll somebody on Sunset Boulevard. At 13 years old, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> this guy came out at 2 in the morning where two young kids uh, hiding behind a bush, and we need money for booze. And we tried to jump this guy, and he beat the snot out of us. Uh, he got hold of me in a headlock, and then I started yelling, child endangerment, child endangerment, <laughs> beating me and my friends, so we didn't try that again. And then we thought, after a while, we got more guys involved in our great beer run. So how are we going to get a beer? Somebody thought, let's steal a Budweiser truck. I said, wow, that, that would be good. Innovation, right? So here's four of us. We're walking down the... Uh, <clears throat> Going towards East LA, walking on alongside of the freeway on the other, and there's a lot of cars and watching these cars, and somehow Providence, the universe gives it to you. We ran into a pickup truck and we got in it and I, I pulled the, the glove compartment and the extra keys were in there. 
And then my buddy uh, learned it was a stick shift. So now we had a vehicle for our quest. But through two guys in the back and two of us in the front. And here we go looking for a truck. And we looked all over the place. And we didn't find <clears throat> we, the only thing we ever saw. We saw an Olympia truck. Remember Olympia beer? And we followed it, and we watched the guy get off and start taking the beer inside the store. And they okay, let's go. And we run up there and jump up there. My buddy hands me two, two cases, and, and the guy comes out, and I'm running to the truck. And all I can, I'm, I'm very, I've got a 36-inch waist, and everything's bouncing around all over the place. And I get there, throw the beer in the back, and the guy starts throwing this Olympia little beer at us. You know, they're flying all over the place, you know, so we have... Beer raining down on us, so the dream come through. <laughs> I got in the car on the truck, and it was a stick shift. So I put it on first gear, and I'm going as fast as I can. Whoa, 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 whoa. But we got away. So then uh, I thought, and then the earthquake happens. And, uh, and it was about 6.30 in the morning in L.A., the uh, earthquake. And I'm trying to... I'm yelling in, at home, and I'm telling everybody, there's an earthquake, like, if they don't know. And I'm trying to put my Levi's on. And the first thing I thought of was the liquor store. All the windows are going to be busted in the liquor store. So the great run is on. And we ran all the way up here, and, and it would have broke your heart, man. There was liquor going down the street like this. And it was just so sweet, the smell and stuff. But the guy was already there. So then we ran to the uh, supermarket. Went to the supermarket, walked in there, and looked around, and the Chinese people were there already. I don't know if they sleep back there or what, but we, we wouldn't take that long. It must have been 15 minutes between the earthquake, 20 minutes when we got up there. And then they called us back, and I said, why are we running? Me and my buddy, they called us back, and they said, hey, help us clean up. We pay you. We pay you. And I saw the wine coming down. And, and, and the mustard and the ketchup coming on this side. And it was just the beautiful colors because it was kind of like in a hill, the, the market. And I said, I'll clean that aisle. They gave me a bunch of trash cans and, and, and bottles are breaking and I'm tasting all kinds of different kinds of wines and liquors and the, 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 the thing is busted and I'm drinking and, and I'm working on my recovery. And then I go into the cooler to straighten out the beer, right? Pop a cold one. I, I didn't realize that, but I was born an alcoholic, I think, you know, because it, it, it was just so um, subconsciously alluring, you know. And then, uh, so I managed, I managed to uh, end up in 30 visits to juvenile hall. They call me incorrigible, ward of the court, juvenile delinquent. Those are the labels. Uh, when I got older, they said, you don't know what you want <laughs> in jobs, you know. You must find your, 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 you know, your, your profession in life and things like that. So I got into truck driving and stuff. But when I went to road camp, I came out again determined to do good. But I didn't have a program to carry the, uh, all that they taught in, in road camp, all that they taught me in road camp. When I got out, it took for a year for me to be drinking again, taking cars that weren't mine, and just doing a lot of uh, Havoc in society. I was 15 then. Went to road camp, came out, got together with my buddies, and that's where I crossed the invisible line when I, 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 we bought some vodka. And at the same time, they used to have a little liquor called 
a little small brandy. I don't know. It's called the missing link with a monkey on it. How many ever saw that? You know, it was, it was a big deal in the 1800s. They, 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 <laughs> and the missing link, you know, so we'll drink about that. You know, that we came from monkeys or something like that. But when I drank that vodka, the alcohol poisoning, about 8% of alcohol poisoning, and, and that could have happened to me if my friends had not thrown me in the bed upside down. I threw up. They said I was falling on the cement backwards, forwards, everywhere I can. I don't remember anything. Um, I know the, uh, when we, you know, our bodies have scars and cracks and everything from, from drinking. And um, they actually saved my life by throwing me in this way. Because when I woke in the morning, I had every bodily fluid had coming out of me. I had blood, nose, shit all over the place, piss and snot and everything you can think of. Uh, on a beautiful round bed close to Hollywood. I don't know whose home it was. I just pissed and messed that bed up. I get up and say, where am I? You know, and so I tried flipping that round mattress over and I fell backwards and the guy came in. Anyway, I went home walking. And by then, the, uh, the shit had dried on my new Levi's. And I'm walking home like... And then I had beans here from the throw-up, from the burrito I ate before. <laughs> and I started pulling them out. Hey, they look good, man. <laughs> then I, I did that 500 times after that. <laughs> but alcohol became a uh, priority in so many ways. I, I ended up leaving home at age 16, and I, I got a Mustang. And I left home because me and my brother were getting along. He had gone to road camp. And uh, I left school and I went up Northern California to work at the chicken, uh, the foster farm plant, chicken plant. I told him I was 18. And they said, okay, let's see what you're made of. And they put me in the midnight to 9 a.m. hanging chickens. I got together with some hippies. They taught me about bennies. They taught me about staying up for 36 hours. <laughs> You know, and drinking, they taught me about Yosemite and acid and <laughs> Colombian and, and buying old cars and Cheech and Chong. <laughs> you know, is Dave there? We didn't have any furniture in the, in, the, in, the, in the house that we rented, four of us. We would get paid on Friday from the chicken plant. And on, on Monday, we were all broke. You know, and, that's, and sure enough, the, uh, that was a real chicken shit job. <laughs> Hanging those chickens upside down, smoking your, your joint, having wine or whiskey in your thermos from midnight to 9 a.m. I'm 17, I'm 18, drinking there. I ended up getting one of the chicken shit girls pregnant. So I married her at eight months. What do they call it, a shotgun wedding? She was like that, and uh, we got married. We had a, a boy, Fernando, and he's still in that town. I got four grandchildren in Livingston, California, in that area, that, uh, where I stopped, where the big light stopped me with the Mustang. Well, let me go ahead and get sober, because my story is really long. I ended up really quick. I ended up uh, going for truck driving. I drove truck for about 30 years, big rig. And uh, I worked for Safeway and Vons and a lot of a lot of companies that, uh, and that helped me on my retirement today. I'm retired, but uh, it was only by God's grace uh, covering over me. Somehow I prayed for so many years that my dad would come back 
And by the age of 13, that's when I said, I uncovered myself. This prayer doesn't work. I'm getting out there, you know, and, and, and that's when they were telling us, you came from monkeys. You're not responsible for your actions. I said, really? Not responsible? You know, and, and havoc started, you know, when they took prayer out of school. Going back forward, when I got my truck driving career, I got this, this really nice job in Wonder Bread in San Diego, driving semi, um, delivering. The job was too much money, too many hours. I was too green, and I, I was putting a 55 Chevy together, and I drank so hard on that job that I lost my mind. I raced the car, and, and we drag racing. I got my first DUI. I think I was about 22, 23. I lost my license, and then I continued to drink. I couldn't, uh, the, the house, I, could, I used to be the manager. They took me away from that, they, and they gave me grace by staying in the, in, and I couldn't pay the rent for the next three months. I went from the prodigal son all the way down to, I had to collect cans in the freeway to stay alive. I was, you know, alcohol was bringing me down so low that I couldn't, uh, when I would come out of a blackout, um, I didn't know, you know, first of all, we don't know what country we're in and so forth, but it started getting so bad that, you know, when you have a wet brain, you, you forget a lot of things. I got on my knees in that room and I, and, uh, in that little, now I'm about 22, 23, I'm divorced, the kids are up north, I got two boys I left because of my drinking. And I'm starting more chaos in San Diego. I went the other way. And um, I got on my knees and I asked God to help me. I said, God, help me, the famous prayer. And as I was on my knees asking God, and then my neighbor's knocking on my door telling me, they want you at the gas station. And I'm thinking, can anybody pray around here? You know? <laughs> I went down to the gas station. The guy said, come tomorrow and make an application. I said, uh, no. I said, I want to start now. You know, I said, I'm starving. You know, it just came out. And, and he said, well, you're going to have to fill out a gas. Uh, you know, you've been recommended by your buddy because we're having a lot of trouble here. So we need, we need help. And he says, you got to fill out an uh, application. He gave me the application. And I'm taking about 20 minutes in, in that hot room. And the, and the place is, is, is soaked. And it's dripping, and I can't remember my name. What is your name? Everybody gets stuck on the fill out an application. <laughs> and uh, I had a, I had a little ID. Oh yeah, Fernando Montes de Oca. Yes. Anyway, I got the job. Got some. Uh, I asked for some money to buy a sandwich. I bought the sandwich. I couldn't eat it. It wouldn't go down. How many been down there that you could not eat? He could not get anything down, so I just tossed the sandwich and went back to work. And uh, you know how they raised the alcohol level to 0.5 or something, or they lowered it again and stuff? Well, three days later, that's what a lot of us are running on, on our alcohol level as to a binge, you know, as to a big drink. And that's what I was. I was just running on, on already alcohol in my system that just kept going around and around, and it wasn't processing. But the fourth day when I came down, all the needles came back, all those feelings about being in love and all that shit went away. And you know, and, and, and then just, I needed another drink. Needless to say, I got, I got fixed up right away by good relatives. 
you know, I started working for another company, and before you know it, they wanted to sign for me for, uh, to, to get a pickup truck, a new truck. And I said, really? I had no program. And I remember, I bought the car, bought the vehicle, and I remember the fear when my brother-in-law challenged me to get out there and go dancing and stuff. Go, you know, go, go, go out there and wet your whistle. I was just barely putting my life together after the debacle in San Diego. Now I'm here in Bellflower. And I, a fear came into me. I had no defense against the first string. I didn't have a program. And I, and I went out there, and sure enough, messed it up, got involved with the wrong people, got a motorcycle, ran my brand-new pickup truck into a, a fence. How many of you seen in the corner, seen the fence down, and you saw a car <laughs> ate it there? How many of you had eight, eight, done one of those? I, I done one. I got sued to fix that fence. I ended up, you know, being bailed out of jail that day, and uh, I had been drinking the night, all, the, all day that day, the night before, and I had a, a grudge that I couldn't get rid of. I had fought this guy at this bar, and I, and I couldn't kick his ass, so, and then we're friends again, and I'm still mad, and I'm drinking. And, um, and that's how I wrecked my truck. I wrecked it in there by, by taking the anger out on the truck as I was driving. So real quick, um, I got sued, and I put, I put the, uh, the, all the, uh, the cement and the iron back together with another guy's help that knew what he was doing. And on the top, when we put the cement, I put my name. Fernando was here. You know, if I were to forget and want another drink, I'd go look and remember that I am an alcoholic. I'd knock this fence down. I, I can't drink. So I get sent to AA by the attorney that did my divorce. I get sent to an abuse school. A special case in Annabue School, they cornered me and they said, Okay, you got a program here, I will comply. It was in the early 80s and it cost me $600 for Annabue School. I had to pay it. Uh, and then in a year's time, I had to do 30 AA meetings and then go back to the judge and show him my report card. I thought he was going to be happy, you know, I was so happy. I stopped drinking, I got nine months. I'm not smelling like shit no more. I got money in my pocket. Things are good. The district attorney, I'm, I'm, we're good. IRS is good. The bill collectors are good. The car stopped vanishing. Just everything, something started working on my behalf just by attending and sitting in AA meetings. I mean, it was so powerful that first uh, year that I came into AA that time is that I got the promises right away. I changed careers. I, I walked into the right place at the right time. They, they, I got into real estate, started selling real estate, started to change my career, bought a Mercedes Benz, bought a house. Um, again, to my success with this greenhorn and having done my fourth or fifth, fifth, not working with others and everything, I run for about eight years like that, being smug, seeing other realtors drinking on the job and so forth. And then I, I get the, the insanity of a dry drunk, the experience of a dry drunk. And then I get the experience of having suicide thoughts. How many have had suicide thoughts? Man, they are strong. I just keep doing the same thing. You know, I was, I was doing basically not anything wrong. The only thing I was doing, I was trying to convince somebody to come to AA that, wasn't, that didn't want to come to AA. That's the only thing that made me, and I thought I could. 
You know, it was me, could and would and should. Uh, well, I lost the house. I lost everything all over again. And I ended up with a hamster or a hamper about 10 years later. And I got dropped off in front of my mom's house by a, a gardener that gave me mercy, you know, and he brought me over there. And then from there, I had to start all over again. And her $200, you know, a 600-square-foot home, and we started all over again. And thank God for moms that, that you know, just are there to, to pick up the pieces. So that's when I started going to AA, and I, I got in better. Um, then I had to go through five years of no AA and just pure uh, dry drunk. And finally, when I was in Tracy, California, I went in into that club. I was by uh, another truck driver friend of mine. And I saw the traditions on the wall. And remind me, I'm a retread. I saw the traditions and I said, wow, this is what I've been running after all my life. A system that we could put bread and butter on the, on the, on the table and I could say, high-five my high, higher power, say hello to my brother, and, and be in good standing. And then uh, I realized that I was void of literature, hope, faith, trust, and belief. All those things have, have left me. And for somehow, I had gotten those with my raising in my family with, a, with love. But when I came into AA, uh, that first tradition made uh, our you know, our first tradition was that I, uh, you know, our common welfare came first, personal recovery dependent upon AA unity. That unity was love to me. It was like props holding me up, holding me up. And, it, and I, I know that I needed to come to the meetings fully clothed in my right mind <laughs> with a dollar and pay attention. And, and, and then sure enough, and one guy said something in that Holly Street AA, a uh, little old church converted into AA. He said, we're a lot of people with unworn feelings. We, have, we haven't taken the time to mourn our hurts and our disappointments and so forth through life. And that made so much sense to me because I seem to have a brick in here that I couldn't get it out. It was like a metal from all the hurts and the separations, all the... All the the things that didn't uh, pan out, and I couldn't get it out. I tried every kind of beer, every kind of liquor, every kind of stuff, and it just would not come out. But AA got it out. They got it out through laughter. They got it out through stories. They got it out through, through fellowship, and it started chipping away, and it started coming out of here like acid and hurt and stiff, and I started becoming a human being. So in Tracy, California, the, the group split up. My first year, half the group went this way, the Democrats and the Republicans on that side. And, uh, and I'm thinking, was it me? Did I do something? Because I was three months sober, and I said, I want to be of service. And I got a, the men's meeting, and, I, and, and then I started uh, cleaning the floor, the dust, and so forth. I put myself into service. I didn't wait for anybody. I just saw stains there and thinking, hey, man. This is an incredible place. No other place in the world I'd rather be than an AA meeting listening to this wisdom, downloading, main, mainlining good information that's given me faith, hope, laughter, and everything I, I possibly need in life. You know, Bill W. was just an incredible genius. And Bob, keep it simple. 
Dr. Bob, and, and he's a manner of living that really works. So I realized I came out with my own sayings. Give them heaven. <laughs> Fernando Commando says that. And the other one, the other one is uh, I'm in the right place with, with the right program, headed in the right direction with the right people, with the right set of problems nipping at my heels, keeping me going forward. If I'm thankful for my problems, we can do something about them. If I'm resentful at them, they'll get me. As long as I turn it over to God and, and he keeps me, you know, up and at them going forward. So this group broke up. AA was closed. The, a, the newcomer, I, would, I, I was driving trucks for Safeway here. This is how I got to know this area. I was up and down this area a lot delivering bread for Safeway. And, the, new, and the, the, the place was closed, so I still had the key as a secretary, so I would, I would, and they had air conditioning there, so I would come in in the morning and just sit down and meditate, and then I can hear the, the, the door shaking, but we didn't have any meetings. AA was closed, and they had their court card, and they're shaking on the door, and they, they look back, and I can see them, you know, like they can't see me, and I'm thinking, wow, we're going to have to do something, so I went to the... To the other guys, I said, hey, let's, we got to do something. Let's get the, 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 the Spanish group together and let's split the rent, $1,000. There's something we can do. And he goes, well, you gave me an idea. He goes, I'll get a hold of you. So what he did, he called all the old timers that had started the group. They had moved away. They all came back and we all got together and we all decided to put like $150 each for six months in the kitty to fire up the... We fired up the group again, and I visited in Tracy. They're so well organized. I went back after 20 years. By the way, my, my, I'm in, in, eight, in, at the 28, in eight days, I'll have 28 years, by the way. Woo! Just a little overlooked sight here of mine. So I went back. You know what the guy said? They called me a founding father. You know, as one of the eight founding fathers there. I said, wow. So when I got excited about AA again, um, I, went, I went, well, I think I'll go to Bible school. And Bible school just turned out to be a fiasco because I already had my taste of AA and what's structured and what I call 80-grit sandpaper. Over there was 220 with water. Over here, they really get to the metal. Hey, asshole, you got shit coming out of your ears, man. Just keep your mouth quiet. We don't hear any of your shit. I said, I would miss that. You know, I missed the roughage of AA. You know, so I was, uh, so I finally, after two years of that, I, I let go and I, and I did my fourth and fifth step. And then I asked the sponsor, uh, is there a group around here? And I happened to be in West Sacramento. And he took me to a group there. I got involved in the group. And uh, that's the second group now. And I, uh, I got so involved, I started some uh, 6.30 morning meetings there. I went to the business meeting, and I figured my friends were going to vote for me. And the people that didn't talk to me, I knew they weren't going to vote for me because there's a lot of people that didn't talk to me. You know? And when it came to voting, they, uh, they said, all my friends voted against me. <laughs> They said I was grandiose. Why don't I just start with one meeting a week instead of four? I wanted like seven across the board. And uh, finally, they gave me four meetings. 
you know, because they didn't have any morning meetings. And I had to go across the river for morning meetings. We started the morning meetings to this day they're going on there. Uh, and then from there, I came to back to Los, uh, to Los Angeles. And then at the park, at my home group, I started the, uh, ten, the 9 a.m. morning meetings there. I sat at the park, and they said, we don't need any stinking meetings here. And I started the meetings. Now they're going on seven days a week. Plus, we added two more Al-Anon and a barbecue on Friday night, which I had to leave the people. I said, hey, I'm going to go up north. I don't want to rush. I got to go talk. I said, I need for you guys to take my commitments. So it took about five people to take my commitments. You know, bringing the podium to the park, the charcoal, the barbecue, the steak, buying the meat, you know, the condoms, the water, all that stuff and everything. And, and, and it was the best thing that ever happened. Thank you, Nicole. You know, have other people get involved, making the coffee. It's me, I would forget the coffee. So one time I had the barbecue, I forgot the meat, left it in the refrigerator, you know. But we, we started those meetings, and then I happened to be in Antioch, California. He, I mean, over here in Pittsburgh, I got married in the program. Okay, I, I just told her, I said, hey, baby, <laughs> you and I can work better together at 12-step program, you know, and we can get your sister. I was actually dating her sister, and her sister got drunk, and she gave me the other number of the sober one. So, <laughs> And the first time I text her, I text her, I say, your sister said you'll marry me. Like, I was tired of looking around, you know. She said, absolutely not. About four or five months later, we're married. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. And uh, thank God for the 12 traditions and 12 steps. It keep, keeps you married. We ended up going to service work in Hawaii, service work in Sedona. You know, we, we, uh, we go to conventions. We just have a lot of fun because we have people to work with. You know, I just buried, we just buried another guy that just couldn't see it our way, you know, and it, uh, we work with the family for a long time, and we have some tragic events, and then we have some good events, uh, too, you know, here. So we're, we're here to, then after that, because of my mother-in-law, there, I, I ended up starting meetings at the Antioch Fellowship at the 9 a.m. I went in there, I said, I don't want to be over there at that house with those people. Here, give me the room. I put about three, four hundred dollars down on the uh, on the uh, on the Antioch uh, Club, the uh, to st to give me the, the the room in the morning at nine a.m. And I put some money down. and I bought a whole month. So I'm leaving in L.A. So I only I have to prime the pump, and I only got six weeks to find secretaries. You know. So we for and finally we got it going. And there was a guy named Lavelle. And he he, uh, he he just came and moved in the area. He needed a, and he started helping out. And I and I left and between me and him and a bunch of other guys, the meetings you can't find, sitting room, it's called fully clothed in my right mind. The group, fully clothed in my right mind. And then then it broke away into the Zoom classes. And then uh, me and that wife, we were uh, she had a house in Morgan Hill. We went over there to fix it to sell it, and I had to go to Gilroy for meetings. So I just happened to go into the business meeting on this uh, here in uh, Morgan Hill. And I said, hey, why don't we start 7 a.m. meetings? And then another guy, another, I go, you know, the fifth tradition says, uh, you know, our primary purpose is to, is to help uh, new alcoholics. And sure enough, you know, five meetings are going on today over there in, in Morgan Hill. 
And that was a very... Uh... So it just happens to be... The reason I'm saying this is I'm telling you that, that, that every one of you, every one of us, when there's a need, let's feel it. You know, I've been, I've been told that, uh, what authority are you doing this? I've been told, I said, God can't afford the, the rent here because it's, it's too poverty. God can't afford it. <laughs> and, and the other meetings are closing around. This meeting is booming and blooming, you know. And, and uh, I went back to the Morgan Hill. Nobody knew who I was. But they were, they were running on, and firing on eight cylinders. So Alcoholics Anonymous has surely been a good, a good thing in my life. Um, I'll be celebrating 28 years. I have sponsored. Sees my sponsor is of 47 years, and he has a sponsor that just turned 50. We're all in the same meeting at the park, you know, like dominoes, you know. And we're very close-knit together. They're close-knit together more than my regular family. Um, and we're, we're not into outside issues. We're not into gossip. We're into the new person that comes in, and we're worried about the new person, and it's just... You know, I just do what my, my sponsor does, you know. I just basically, he's in service. He just works with others, doesn't talk about people, and he keeps a good, you know, a good role model thing. And so we, so I'm very happy to uh, be a part of Alcoholic Anonymous. And I just wanted to say, leave you with this one quote from page 100. It says, you and the new man must walk uh, together in the spiritual progress. You know, and God would do for us remarkable things, remarkable, that we can do for ourselves. Great things will happen for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. I'm mixing that up. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, greetings, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Today we're listening in on a meeting in progress. Let's go ahead and open it with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let me allow this power to lead into the order of the take today strengthen my words and deeds. May I know that the message I carry is mine to share, given freely by this power greater than myself. That is easier said than done. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I was saying the same thing this morning. I'm having some back, you know, I've, I've had back issues since I was like 38 years old. It's my lower spine. You know, it's the L3, 4, and 5 hits, sits on the, when it, when it shifts, when the disc shifts, it sits right on the nerve. So I'll probably for my fault too, because I let it go and I didn't maintenance it. But I didn't want to come this morning. You know, I'd rather <laughs> just like, 
uh, lay there in bed and, you, you know, boo-hoo, ha-ha, you know, somebody come save me. God, give me a new back. and give me But I, I know the routine, and I know if I don't get up out of that bed, I'm going to make that the routine, and it's not going to be good. And there's where the higher power kicks in, because first thing I thought, you know, 7 o'clock, I got my peeps over at the park waiting for me. How those cupcakes and cookies they gave me last night for the promises. <laughs> no. And that's a result of the program working. I'm thinking of somebody else getting out of cell and letting my higher power direct me. Mm. You know, we... The, the biggest struggle I've been having lately is um, I'm impatient. Mm. You know, the promise last night is, you know, that my promise is the third, we were on the third one. Uh, we don't wish to close the door on the past, nor do we want to forget. And that was a, a lot of times that's what takes us out because we aren't honest with ourselves and thorough with ourselves. And honesty means, yeah, you did tell another person your most ultimate secret, but did you forgive yourself for it? Sharing it with another person or releasing it to God is one thing, but I know from experience that if we don't forgive ourselves and move forward and try to heal with God helping us with that, it's going to keep creeping it up and it's going to keep taking us out and still going to, in my case, not to the drink, in my case, it's to the depression. Mine is going to take me back to depression, you know, and depression will take me back to the drink. See, there's, there's steps that happen for me before I go out. And if I'm not aware of those signs for myself, and that's what this is right here, you know. When I say the serenity prayer, and I say, God, give me wisdom to know the difference. Or, you know, when we're doing um, our meditation on Fridays, you know, chapter 11, prayer meditation, it says there, you know, made a conscious contact, you know, with God and made a decision to turn it over to him. Um, I don't want those to be just words. I want to actually do this, have the psych change right away and know that that's exactly what's going to happen and not question it. And that's what happens here, you know. No matter what given situation you're put in, if you're put in the middle of a war, if you have the psych change and you have this program within you, and even in a war, you could share all this with another alcoholic. And that's what's going to keep you sober and not run back to whatever I call it from the neck up, mind-altering, anything, whatever your addiction is, mind-altering, you know, your cigarettes, it's mind-altering, you know, but, and that's what I'll, uh, that's, that's the struggle I'm having right there, is I can verbally sit here and tell you, yes, 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 but then I go out into the world, and I start letting that, my little things just dig at me and, and get me down, you know. I have everything going on really nice right now and everything's just nice. But in my perception, in my mind, I want to make it fake. Oh, my back is killing me and I don't want to get up and go to this meeting. God, I really don't want to. There, once again, you know, God is telling me, yeah. You didn't get this far because of the push, you know. It's because I pushed you. You need to go. You know, you got people relying on you. Once my, my, my situation is taken off my back, I'm better once I'm here. Like Al said, once you're here and you're doing this, it's like, oh, my back's hurt. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't even realize. So I think it all has to do with taking, when they say mind out of matter or matter out of mind, you know, and our perception of thinking, 
You can either think this way or you can think this way. But it's the psychological change that's got to happen for it to become a, uh, you know, your daily routine, your daily way of living. Thank you for letting me share. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get, I'm James Alcoholic. Hi, James. I'll get on a little bit of a different tack. And uh, it may be a little controversial, and I don't want any here. Argumentaries, because like we've agreed to in the first hundred uh, members, that uh, nobody would be tied down to any kind of higher power uh, particular to somebody else. You know, that was what that's what persuaded Bill to listen to E.B. in regards to the spiritual. Because E.B. said, you can pick your own idea of a higher power. Oh, okay. You know. But um, with me, um, I... <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. What happened? Uh, there are beings around <laughs> us. There are beings, beings self-conscious, uh, sometimes malevolent. And sometimes uh, a beneficial beings, and uh, they uh, somehow they have input, and uh, the centering of the mind is what we were talking about. Actually, just as we were driving here, uh, that if we turn our mind a certain way, if I turn my mind from the negative into the positive, mm -hmm. my whole body changes. From the head to toe, everything changes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when you get on the upgrade, rather than you know needing a checkup from the neck up, ha ha ha, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> tore up from the floor, huh? <laughs> <laughs> all those different things. But there goes blackbirds. See now, now these blackbirds they represent. <laughs> Never mind, James. Never mind. Stay on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> but all no, these uh, flies. Oh, I don't know. Uh, they, I, I've simplified it to uh, to uh, what what one of the uh, scientists uh, who is amazing in his memory. Everybody, everybody complimented him on his memory. He says. No, no, no. I, I don't have much memory. I just have a whole bunch of little clerks, file clerks, <laughs> that are going around in my head, and I, I just uh, turn off to, to my thinking, and I says, "Hey, Ty, file clerk, bring that up," and he brings it up. And the guy was, the guy was obvi obviously very effective with that, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you can, I can, uh, I can subscribe to a little bit of that and a little bit of this, but mainly it's. Uh, it's my decision and choice uh, who I'll listen to, who I'll pay attention to, whether it's, uh, as I understand it, either the devil's people or the God's people that are that are working on my um, on me, either to my detriment or to my benefit. Oh, oh Fernando, he he wants to set up a contest between us. You know, you well. I'm going to charge you a quarter for every negative thing you come up with. <laughs> so, 
I said, no, no, I, I don't want to play that game. <laughs> Fernando. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Fernando. Very good. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it again. August 27th, Centering Our Thoughts. Centering Our Thoughts. Just uh, when World War II broke out, our AA dependence on a higher power had its oh, first major test. AAs entered the services and were scattered all over the world. Would they be able to take the discipline, stand up under fire, and endure? As Bill sees at page 200. I will center my thoughts on a higher power. I will surrender all to this power within me. I will become a soldier for this power. Feeling the might of the spiritual army as it exists in my life today, I will allow a wave of spiritual union to connect me through my gratitude, mm. obedience, and discipline to this higher power. Let me allow this power to lead me through the orders of the day. May the steps I take today strengthen my words and deeds. May I know that the message I carry is mine to share, giving freely by this power greater than myself. Uh, I'm Fernando Alcoholic. You know, James said something really when I came in over here. He said that uh, neg negative words frame the situation, that you can't do one with the other. You know, so we're talking about um, uh, that. And I go, good. But, you know, in spiritual happy words, we don't need frame. Like spiritual words, we don't need a frame of a negative, like like laughter or, or joy or love. You know, those things don't need uh, only something in danger has um we'll, we'll need like like anger or or, or 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 jumping you know or righteous indignation or getting something done because it's, it's the right thing and you get and then you use the power rightly resentment you use the power right i had enough of this drinking i'm going forward but not getting off the topic um is is the fact is is that you you uh i didn't want to come this morning either <laughs> I have a lot to do. I got, you know, and then I got to pick up, and then I got, and then I got to go, and then, and cater. Yeah. So, plus I got my little business running. That's, uh, I have. <laughs> look, look, I go to deliver one thing, that white thing I had in the last, uh -huh. I deliver it, and on the way back, we see something on the streets. Oh, we've got to get that. We can't leave that out there. It's an orphan. You know, so it's just an unending cycle. Um, but the point I wanted to make is that um, uh, I thought about it, my three-minute commitment. I, I walked around just to get a, a minimum of my three-minute walking, mm -hmm. you know, just to get me, me going, get my, my head centered. I did that, so now I can check it off. I did my basic prayers. I was up at 4.30, ready by 5 for the orders, you know. And the point I want to make really quick, like, is, is, is the fact is, is that um, I was driving semi from Sacramento and I went down to Pismo Beach, uh, Paso Robles. I was in that area delivering dog food. I was delivering dog food all the way down to cat food and stuff to these beautiful places all the way down. And then I lay over at uh, Paso Robles. I couldn't sleep, man. It was, the place was haunted because Jesse James hid there in two years. And Frank. 
And I had to get up at five in the morning and start driving back. And, 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 um, and it was foggy. It was dangerous. I couldn't see a darn thing. Cars all over the place. We're going down into the valley, and then we come up Highway 5 over here by Bakersfield somewhere, Highway 46. Then I start running up, and I'm saying, this ain't worth it. This is the shit. Excuse my English. And and I'm really having a hard time. And I remember this little uh, uh, that I, uh, little article I read about moving your toes. You know, so I started moving my toes, and I started being thankful that I could move my toes. And then I started to be thankful I'm driving truck, thankful I could move my ankles, you know. And I go, oh, yeah, how many times haven't I messed up my ankles? ankles? Then I was thankful for my knees, you know. And then I was thankful, for, you know, and before you know it, I, before you know it, ten minutes later, I'm singing Beatles songs. Mm. Maybe you can drive my car. Da, 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 da. <laughs> And I don't remember going through from from negative to positive. I do not remember. But it was in the in the giving, the gratitude, and the thanksgiving that somehow my uh, hippopotamus, the uh, hippocampus, <laughs> my hippocampus got excited, <laughs> started releasing all kinds of high endorphins. And so, anyway, I became grateful from from not and, and food tastes better. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's move on to our second part of the game. We all read. This is the thank you for coming to the uh, to the pages 86 and 88 meeting of Alcoholic Anonymous. We have. Uh, here you go, James. Okay. Lupita, thank you for coming out here and bringing uh, cheerfulness to us. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and start off with. Uh, L. You read us, start us off reading at the bottom of 85, L. Our alcoholic. I am. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter. Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. Pass. Lupe Alcoholic. Lupe. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. 
For after all, God gave us brains to use. <laughs> our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here is where we ask God for inspiration and the truth of thought or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still and experienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of observed action and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. Pass. James, I call it. Hey. James, <clears throat> we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer <clears throat> that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no request of, for uh, ourselves only. We may uh, ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. Pass. <clears throat> Fernando. Oh. If circumstance warns, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set of prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer on the show, humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will will be done. We are then much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. But this is not all. This is action and more. There is fate without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. Okay. We'll go again. Al, please. Start okay. off. Al, alcoholic. Al. Al. Yeah. Um, well, as, as you were reading, I, was, uh, I uh, came across the idea that... Uh, we need to take the, the next indicated right step. And uh, in order to be on the right path, you know, the God-given path, I need to take the step. And when I take the step, the light comes on and I can see. 
But if I don't take the step, the light do doesn't come on. And so I have, I need to walk, you know, with God. And I was thinking, what if we didn't, as human beings, what if we didn't, uh, you know, uh, try to do God's will in this world? You know, what would happen, you know, if we all sat back and didn't do anything? Mm. It's almost like removing God from the scene mm -hmm. because, in a way, we're, we're kind of uh, bearers of, of the gifts of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it uh, the goodness will have been taken away if uh, James or Fernando or... Lupe uh, stopped uh, trying to do better uh, because I wouldn't see it. All I would see is people flipping each other off. I mean, <laughs> you know, the the ugly will is is here. It's strong, and it's uh, you know my. Uh, duty to myself to, to live a better life I have I need to try to live by spiritual principles not try but you know live by spiritual principles and ask for you know the power to carry that out praying only for God's will for me and the power to carry that out mm. and then I'm in less danger when I when I'm doing these things you know, the old saying, my mom told me, idleness is the devil's workshop. You know, and there's a lot of truth to that because my brain automatically tends to gravitate toward the negativity. Mm. I don't know how yours, but that is an automatic thing, you know. It just happens. <clears throat> but if I'm going to do any good in life, I need to, you know, take the right steps live by the spiritual principles of, of, of this book you know when I'm wrong admit it you know that that's a great one because uh, there's a healing aspect to that you know for myself and sometimes for other people too mm. so the other people sometimes they don't greet you with open arms when you admit you've, you've stolen the couple thousand dollars from them but when you tell them you're going to pay them back they're happy to hear that <laughs> so uh, you know, making amends is part of that showing that presence and if we don't do it who's going to do it you know who's going to do it it's, uh, mm -hmm. we're centered uh, on self which means all all the fruit of self you know the bitterness the anger all that stuff that comes from self yeah. what about me uh, that self-centeredness is gives the, the fruit of resentment and, uh, and hatred oh my god how could I live that way with hatred mm. it's too painful you mm. know Anyway, that's enough out of me. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
Good morning, Lupe alcoholic. Good morning, Lupe. Lupe. Um, when Al was talking about like our negatives and our positive thoughts, um, it must be the full moon last night because like I'm on the same wave. <laughs> um, Kevin and I we went to the 9 a.m. yesterday morning. That's like our church, our beginning of the week church thing. There was a lot, of, a lot of sobriety in there. And I noticed. I don't know if you guys ever noticed when you walk into a room. You could feel the auras, you know, like you could feel the positive energy. Mm. Or there's something just like walk in, and I could feel some really weird energy going on. Like there's just as much negative as positive, you know, and there's like that. Mm. You know, I want to be here, but I don't want to be here. So, you know, and I think it's the same thing. Like for me, if I work alone, I'm most likely going to end up in my depression and be sad, you know. And, I'm I'm don't like sad for one thing, you know. I don't like hate. Hate is a very strong word. And I notice when I can get around others that have that positive aura about them, that I snap out of it. Mm. Like I, you know, it's like you know that um, more is better than one environment, you know. And that's where we have, you know, like it says in here, you know, in uh, 86 through 88. It says in here, you know, God, give me direction. Give me the signs, you know. And he is. But I know if we don't have a willingness to be open to see it or feel it, that it can't, it's not going to happen either. Because we're our number one enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, we're our number one. Um, I, uh, I've always had self-esteem issues. And I know it's because, you know, how to just do it my dad he thought he was doing the right thing but i always thought well, well what's wrong with me you know go in there and take that makeup off well why what's wrong with me go in there and take those shoes off you know why what's wrong with me you know it's always what was wrong with me mm -hmm. and um but those are things i had i can change you know i can change with you know um but it's not something somebody could fix for me it's something that comes from within i'm barely learning that at 50 you know those are the things i'm learning in my 50s is that um our relationship with ourselves has a lot to do with these three pages. If we don't change the relationship with ourselves and get to get to like ourselves and love ourselves, I don't think we'll ever be happy with the outside surrounding situation. Because we will always want to be running from ourselves. You know, and doing these here three pages and doing them on a daily basis, you know, a lot of, uh, God is actually opening up a lot of um, avenues for me you know but do I have a willingness to see him or am I gonna let fear stop me mm -hmm. from correcting it and moving forward with it you know um, I've, ex I've talked to you guys before relationships is my number one fear you yeah. know period you know I failed a 17-year marriage that I married in the Catholic Church it was forever deaf to his part and I wasn't gonna kill him so I divorced him unless <laughs> 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 so I would have killed him you know uh, he wasn't going anywhere soon, you know, and I look back on it now and it's funny You know how you say that if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't do it. I would have stayed in the marriage I don't know if that's the case But I know if I would have had these spiritual tools and maybe these pages right here I would have had better chances of making a better, you know, better for myself yeah. You know, the relationship yeah. with myself would have gave me the decisions probably to Maybe take a different avenue on uh, approaching him 
you know, and not saying, well, you know, you don't communicate with me, you don't talk to me, you know, why even try mm -hmm. and throw your hands up in the air and get a divorce? You know, because, I mean, the relationship I had after that was nine years, you know, we didn't get married, but we were together nine years. And it was one of those things, too, that if I would have had this program, I probably would have never even got mixed up with the guy. You know, it's a narcissist, you know, and you can't fix a narcissist. I didn't know that. Thanks to you guys, I know that, you know. And, you know, and now I'm in this great relationship with Kevin, as you guys know. He's very spiritually driven. And a lot of times now I have the tools to tell Kevin, you know what? I need space. He's like, what? You know, the way he takes it. And I go, no, you don't understand. I need space so I can filter the relationship with myself so I could be a better friend to you, a better girlfriend to you, a better, you know, person to you, you know, so I don't repeat those, you know, and just shut up, be quiet and say, you know, silence is, what do they call that? Deadly, you know, silence is deadly because when you, you know, when you, um, words are harsh and when you build up and you just explode, you say the things you don't really want to say, but you've already said them. And, you know, hopefully they won't remember them, but I know how I am and I remember some of the most hurtful things, you know. So, that, you know, doing this and having, using the brain mm. to think not in a negative way, but a positive way happens more often than before this 7 a.m. meeting in these three pages. You know, even though I did it my own way before. <laughs> a little bit different when we're sitting together in a group and we're reading to each other mm. and saying what words stood out to you in that particular reading this morning. And it's usually always different words, you know, or one of your guys' share. It will make me think a little bit more about what's going on inside me, you know, to share with you guys and then you get feedback on it. Mm. So, I mean, it's the spiritual side for me is the important side of the sobriety that's more important to me um, because it emotionally um, fits me makes me stronger so thank you yeah yeah crazy yeah. I'm James alcoholic right morning James and uh, I am just uh, enjoying uh, the sharing we know where you're going we know where you're going it's all for early. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, uh, I'm discovering my brain as time goes on, and I, I thank God for uh, the <laughs> good job. <laughs> I'm gonna go play the lottery. So <laughs> <laughs> money at James, and he threw it away. <laughs> uh, I. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying my brain more now. I, I you know these things that I, I speak of as far as the invisible, uh, the unseen forces that are going on. Uh, they're they're very real to me, and uh, and that simplifies life. I don't I don't have to take full responsibility for my. Uh, not being centered, not being, uh, you know, with it. I'm not with it. I, I when I, when I complete uh, what I'm saying here now, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll be complete. It'll be complete. Mm -hmm. Whether, whether I have a whole lot of other things I might say or not, 
I can let it, uh, let it go. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most amazing thing is words are are, are so powerful. They can uh, they can uh, raise up empires, or they can uh, they can destroy everything down to the ground. But I was thinking, uh, you know, about the planting. The planting. Now, if I receive a seed of a thought from you, or you, or you, uh, it's a seed. It has potential then for uh, fruition. It has a growth. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of a little baby. They're so rubbery little things. Thank God for that. They couldn't make it through the fallopian tube. You know. But uh, then they start getting rigid, and you get uh, get up here, talk uh, <laughs> rigid, and talk about back. Yeah, I must have that same thing. Uh, sometimes it'll it'll slide in place, and man, I'm comfortable. I'm so grateful. It's good. But then sometimes I'm walking like a crab in the in the early morning, and I'm saying, "Thank you, God. Thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, God. Thank you, God. I hurt. I hurt. But thank you, God. I hurt. Exactly. <laughs> thank you that I can feel it. I can feel all the feelings." And there's a whole, man, there's a whole glossary of them, you know, of feelings. Exactly. And uh, I, I started writing something last night, which is kind of a new idea to me, is, is to uh, trace my life as, as uh, idealistic as I possibly can, you know. Loved and secure and all of that through my early life and, and then into school and happy and very socialized and getting along with everybody, you know, coming up into, you know, maturity, uh, liking girls but not too much and uh, going on to to uh, success in some kind of a, of a profession or, or, a, or a vocation and then going on and, and I, then I just kind of trail it out and say, you can take it from there, you know, mm-hmm. marriage, children. and uh, But, you know, living that way, as I wrote it to myself yesterday, living that way, I'll be looking around scratching my head. Why do people act this way? Why do these people uh, do these self-destructive things? Why is that going on? And I had a, a very unlikely uh, buddy, friend. He was a few years older than me. We would go to lunches together and talk and so forth. Cal, Cal Hank, Cal Hank. He was he was a wonderful man. I loved him like a brother. We just we just got along so well. But but you know he would he would scratch his head. He says, I don't understand why why people act that way. He couldn't understand because he, he had been a virgin when he got married. And his wife was a virgin. He was a virgin. And they, they, they raised uh, three boys and, and uh, 
and right over here, it's indoors, matter of fact. And it had a swimming pool and a nice little property over here. Hmm. And, uh, and Cal, and here's a case of, uh, boy, what a way to go. He was missing at meetings, and he always made the meetings, various meetings. He was a Gideon. Gideon? Mm -hmm. You know the Gideons? Mm -hmm. You know what they do? They're, they're creatures like creatures of habit, right? Huh? They're like creatures of habit. <laughs> The Gideons are the ones who put the Bibles in hotels and places. Oh. The Gideon Bible distributors. Nobody is paid. Everybody's volunteer. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful program. And they, they get the Bibles into college and so forth. They, uh, this, this, is, uh, this is one of the products of them, uh, products of Gideon Society. Never heard of it. And, uh, I I, uh, I got I got mine from Cal Hank before, and then uh, this one I got from uh, a buddy named uh, Hector Ramirez. Uh, he's a, he's the current president of Gideon, but uh, but Cal was one of those Gideons, and he was very faithful in meetings. So they they had to break into his house because he did no response. The car was in the driveway or in the garage, one or the other, and uh, they found him. In his jammies, uh. laying on his pillow, gone. Wow. Just gone. passed away? But his heart was still beating. Oh. What? Yeah. Uh, but he was gone. And then they, they, they took him to the hospital, and, uh, and, uh, and he just kind of just gradually. But what a way to go. You get all ready to go to bed. You doze off, and you're wow. there. You're there, man. But anyway, um, I was... On your way home, huh? <laughs> you know, I was telling of the missing. I miss him very much, and I... Uh, you got changed for 20 grand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's one way to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I just brought a 20 today. Uh, yeah. I have a one for you. Uh, yeah, we got you. Okay. I'm sorry, I took too long. Thank you. I'm, I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Uh, Fernando. I want to thank everyone. This is very informative. Thank you, Al, for coming here. You have the uh, the train to pull us over the hill in the right direction. You know, you got our, our motors thinking about these words and and James um, and and thank you, Lupe, for bringing these these wonderful gifts. Yeah, that you was did. very nice. I think someone knew it was his, his party. That's my party. I'll cry if I want to. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> Gore, huh? So, as we go through the day, we're an agitator or doubtful. We ask for right spiritual beef, thought, or action. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. So, uh, uh, humbly saying to ourselves, I will be done. Um, the other thing is, uh, God, we are undisciplined. Yep. And God disciplines us in the simple manner of words, reciting the words over and over again. Um, it's either this or the world out there. It's either this or problems out there. It's either this. That's 80, 80 grit, 36 grit sandpaper. This is 220 wet with a little coffee and, and thing. This, <laughs> the easier, softer way is through, is through uh, these words that we're, we're gurgitating. <laughs> 
See? You like that word? Purgatory? We gotta heal you got these. Excited, huh? We gotta heal these wounds. I just wounds. dropped a dollar through there. Please and now I'm dropping these. pen through there. I'm gonna come buy a lottery ticket. A Cinderella <laughs> pen. I'm gonna put it on offer up. Wonder where it went, came from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually, yeah. It's probably from. And uh, here we go again. Let me allow this power to lead me through the order of the day. May the steps I take today strengthen my words and deeds. So that power is converted into words and his words because alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And it has words too. And usually the words that it says, it's killing me. Um, I love him to death. You know, it, 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 it just pulls me little by little. But if I, I say, uh, uh, I'll say, uh, uh, oh, you know, one of the powerful things I've been saying lately is I didn't order that confusion. I order peace. Yes. And I'll say it three, seven times, and it starts to take place. I get energy. I get uh, fired up. And, you know, if it works for me. It can work for anybody. Yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely made the steps I take today strengthen my... It's almost like synthesis. Ah. What is synthesis? It's, 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 it's the sun turning your skin into vitamin D, right? Yeah. Is that right? Oh, synthesis, yeah. Yeah. Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Okay. And how long does it take? I think in the old days, uh, there was a, a millionaire, uh, a Kellogg, that got sick or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and he went to the... I don't know if he went to the Seventh-day Adventist or whatever, but they would give him 10 minutes... 15 minutes of sun yeah and exercise and good food and natural food so he came back up and he started making cereals or something like that that's how i think the story went but how long did he meditate out there to get that photosynthesis how long do we meditate to get that power 10 15 minutes it's almost it's got to be the same mm. it's got to be the same yeah as we take you know get a little sun, hey we're good for the day we got a battery charged so I, i'm i opened the conduit for rightful words and right thinking but i always have that little negativity thing that tries to get me to say mm -hmm. evil words mm -hmm. if it can start me to get me to start saying uh destructive words a frame of destructive words it'll capture the good mm -hmm. and try to make it smaller and smaller yeah mm -hmm. so you know uh, i enjoy this day because of the practicality <coughs> and the words that are here that we're eating we're not only i'm eating words with you guys i'm, I'm eating your countenance i believe you i believe i seen the growth mm. i seen the the clarity of mine yeah and then i see as i see the the i thought he's gonna talk about world war ii you know mm -hmm. and he how he used to fall down the galley uh, okay uh, I'm done. i saw i saw the uh, news reels i saw <laughs> the news reels <laughs> fernando, all right i'm fernando. fernando i'm done i'm done Thank you guys for coming here and allowing me to uh, synthesize it or whatever. Yeah, you know, during my period of uh, isolation, I didn't go out almost at all. And when I went to the doctor, he did a test, and I was deficient, very deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin and he D. had to give me like uh, mega doses to get my vitamin D up. Wow. Uh -huh. It's dangerous if you don't have that vitamin D in your body. Yeah. And it's a. I've heard or read that it's a vitamin D is a cancer Prevention. fighter. Uh -huh. If you don't have it, you're more susceptible to it. So 
it's a good thing to uh, to have vitamin D and get out in the sunshine here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that li that light's park. coming through though. Anyway, it is. It's it is. Uh huh. Is that uh, where where do you get vitamin D? But it filters from you. They have it synthesized into a vitamin, but but basically all you have to do is eat normal meals and, and walk in the sun like you were saying for 10 minutes a day oh, yeah, and we you'll have enough vitamin D. Mm. It's sunshine vitamin D, they called it used to, when I was a kid, sunshine mm -hmm. vitamin D. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys, we collected $5, the, our time is up. And we want to thank Lupe for being very successful in uh, bringing flowers and, and all this stuff over here. Flowers? <laughs> well, oh, those flowers. <laughs> I ate some of your flowers. <laughs> I want to thank uh, James for his 89th birthday today. Yeah, thank you, James. 21 plus. And Al for... <laughs> 21 plus. 21 plus. 56, 55. And, uh, okay, so we'll go ahead and close in the usual manner. Okay. Okay. Right, all right. Our Father, our our Father, Father who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as, as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Don't leave. Good meeting. Hey, hey, this is something, you know. You, there are two ways to get to the top of an oak tree, right? Climb it or sit on an acorn. <laughs> and they even let and, it and hatch it. <laughs> or let it come to you. you know, I had one I had one of these oak trees growing in my yard and I tried to dig it out. Man, that thing I, I couldn't get it out. You know, yeah, this thing is oily. It seems like the it would spit yeah, it out. It would yeah. spit out. Well, they're powerful. Probably by the squirrel. And it finally no it took a it took one of those tractors. No, the, the trees spitted it out. Tractors took know. all the trees out of my yard. Except oh, one. someone pulled it out. Pulled the stumps out for Had you? The, uh, what do they call it? Uh, a bobcat. Oh. A guy with a bobcat. Oh, team. yeah. And boy, I mean, he took out every tree in the yard except one. I could, I wouldn't let him take out my Chinese elm in the front yard. Let's take the oak, but not the elm. <laughs> okay, little the one, the do your stuff. <laughs> Go get it, squirrel. It's not ready yet. They say they say the squirrels lose about eighty percent of the things they bury. They do. Oh, they they're forget little, where little, they are. Yeah. Yeah, their little brains. Probably <laughs> <laughs> small as half one of the acorns. So. My friend has a bunch That's of. That's okay. I don't know about eighty percent. I came out with the eighty yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many times do we have to pray? Try to ask. You know. I don't know. Well, you you, you should pray without ceasing. Yeah. Well, what am I going to do? No, how am I going to think? think about it. How well, am I, I going to function? I, I, well, you, you have several levels of the brain. You can, you can work at a couple levels at the same time. Really? Multitasking. Well, huh? Multitasking. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. See, that's why. That's why when you get to a point when you see a bird pass by, you say, hey, hey, did I ever tell you? <laughs> Change the whole conversation. <laughs> I got a point. <laughs> <laughs> when Janice starts to surface. Oh, 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 oh,
<laughs> if I can't have my birthday every day, I won't have a birthday at all. <laughs> One day at a time. Where did you guys go to McDonald's this morning? Uh, on the way here, um, did right, you stop at, or? right at Lone just, Hill, right at Lone Hill, uh -huh. across from the Starbucks. So I really will. So I will talk about uh, the disease, and I will forget to get sober. And that's the most important part is that I'm sober uh, today. My name is Tony, and I am an alcoholic. Tony. I don't know what was funny about that, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm really glad to be here with everybody here tonight. Uh, Linda, thanks for making the 100-mile round trip with me from uh, beautiful Santa Clarita, California. And Jimmy, thank you for asking me to come out here. Um, part of my brain says, gee, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for asking me to come 100 miles round trip to speak for 10 minutes, right? But that's, that's me. That's Tony. That's Tony R., right? Tony R., the alcoholic, who has seven years and a month or whatever of sobriety, is glad that there's still guys like Jimmy, right, that ask me to come out and speak, right? And Jimmy and I have this, this, um, this relationship, right? Uh, I met Jimmy when I was uh, a client at, uh, at the luxurious Royal Palms Recovery Center near MacArthur Park in Los Angeles. And, yeah, right. And had a nice guy like me end up there, but, you know, um, I'm an alcoholic. So, so Jimmy was a, a counselor there, and I was um, a 50-year-old newcomer. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember when I was on, I, had, I got there on a GR bed, right, a general leave bed because I was on, on public assistance. And I remember when I got in the little van, I didn't know where I was going, and I thought they said Westlake Village, right, in Ventura County. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm such a badass, right? I'm like, I can't identify with those guys out there because they're all rich and they don't know how down I am, right? Then they get off the freeway and they go by MacArthur Park. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, because it's like, you know, now I'm not going to identify with these guys because they're way tougher than me. So already, before I even get out of the van, I'm already thinking about all the ways I'm different from alcoholics. Right, those rich guys can't relate with a guy totally down like me. And then when I get over by MacArthur Park, I'm like, oh hell, these gangsters, I don't have nothing in common with these gangsters, right? So I'm I'm already seeing the differences instead of any similarities before I'm even off the little druggy buggy that got me down there, right? So I think that's what they call them in rehab. So anyway, so I got I got down to the Royal Palms and um, you know what it took for me, you know the rich the Royal Palms is a is a facility, right? It's it's not AA, but it was very AA heavy. I think they had at that time probably 10 meetings a week or 10 meetings a week over a couple of fellowships or whatever. And so what it what it took for me to get sober, right, is it took for me to have drank away, you know, and used away, but to drank away any semblance I had of a normal life before that. Whatever I had that was normal, it was gone. You know, I used to be, right, a normal guy. I used to be married, and I used to live with my kids, and, you know, we had lived in a house that we owned, and we had a couple other houses. Not rich, but, you know, suburban stuff. There was a couple Corollas in the driveway. You know what I mean? The kids were in junior college. You know, I was an employer. I was an employee. I was a business owner. I had a lawn to mow. You know, I had taxes to pay. I mean, I had all that stuff on paper, Right, if I would have had like a list of all the things I wanted to be when I grew up, right, is you know I want to 
have a nice job, support myself, my family, be married to a nice lady, uh, have a couple nice kids, have a home, have a, you know, all these things. So there it is, right? There it is on paper is all that stuff. The problem with me is that, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and over the years, what happened to me, many, many years of, of decline, right? Many, many years of decline is that, you know, whatever coping mechanisms to, to life, right, that I might have had got warped. And really, the only coping mechanism I had after years was to drink and to try and sedate myself, right? I'd stub my toe in the morning at 6. It's like the day is ruined, right? And I need something to, to keep me kind of calm, right? And so what it took for me is, is I had to trade in. I didn't realize at the time, but I had to trade in by drinking away that nice life, that nice life on paper, right? And I have, we have a friend, Dylan, in, in the recovery, that has a, has, a, has a saying about external framework. As long as I had the external framework in my life that was looked good on paper, I was okay. As long as I was still married, as long as I still lived indoors, as long as I still lived with my kids, as long as I still had a job, as long as I still had a car that I drove to work and didn't sleep in like I did for about six months, as long as I had all that external framework in place, I couldn't be an alcoholic. How could I? I have all, I have all this stuff. I have all this stuff on this checklist, right? Well, you know, I was an alcoholic before I drank away all that stuff, right? But for me, what it took is to go through over a couple years, from about 2008 to 2012, is to go through some rehabs and to have people tell me what to do or show me what to do and for me not to pay attention. It wasn't like I was defiant. I just wasn't ready. You know, I could have, should have, would have got sober. I could have, should have, would have got sober 15 years before I did. You know, and uh, I didn't. What I did is I got sober when I had drank away enough stuff. When I had drank one of stuff. So when I got into the Royal Palms, which again is just a facility, but kind of reintroduced me to AA because I, my first meeting in AA was probably 1978 or something. I was a teenager or something. Is I had to have drank away my marriage. I had to have just about drank away the relationship with my adult children. That was a big one for me, right? To become unemployed, which happens. To become unemployable, which is worse because that hit my ego, right? It's like it's. It's one thing to, to get fired, but it's another thing. I couldn't hold a job. I, I would get job offers, and I couldn't go to the first day of work because I knew I couldn't keep my ass together enough to, to do anything. When I did have a job, what I did is I would spend so much time thinking about 5 o'clock or sedating myself with some kind of tranquilizer or something like that, I couldn't work anywhere. Right? So I had, to, I had to drink away. I didn't lose anything. right? If I talk about losing things in my, my disease, it makes me sound to me. It makes me sound like a victim, like I, you know, I lost my car keys, like I lost, you know, I, oh, what happened? What happened to my job? I, I lost it. Oh, like your car keys? What happened to your marriage, right? Well, I lost it. I didn't lose any of that stuff. I did not lose any of that stuff. I drank that stuff away. I drank it away, right? And when I came to the Royal Palms, and I met Jimmy and, and my first sponsor and, and some other people around the rooms and Neil and guys like that, you know, I had drank all that stuff away. And I remember, you know. I remember one time I probably had 30 days or 60 days or something, and we were in the lobby, and somebody must have either asked me a question or, better yet, I volunteered to talk about AA because I knew a lot about AA because I was 50 years old and I had 30 days sober or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Jimmy, you know, you know, he was polite, but he basically said, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. He said, you know, kind of like, 
Kim and my first sponsor, Robert D., pointed out, you know, you're 50 years old and you're sleeping on the top bunk of an eight-man room. You know, I don't really think you know all that. I don't think you know all that. I really don't think you know what's going on, right? So what I did is I, I kind of, I just kind of, I have a friend in, in one of my men's tag. He said that AA is kind of like a conga line. You just do what the guy in front of you is doing, right? <laughs> so, you know, my, my first sponsor, Rob D, has a sponsor. So he kind of does what, what that's one. And then, you know, I get behind him, and then people keep getting, you know, Russ gets behind, you know, we all get behind each other. And it's like, I'm not going to reinvent the dance. I'm going to do what the successful person AA is doing in front of me. And if I just kind of do what, what successful guys in AA do, then I can stay sober, you know? And so it's the same old AA fire drill, right? So, you know, um, you know, it's an honest program. Jimmy called me last Saturday. I didn't recognize the number. I picked up, hello? And he goes, what are you doing next Saturday night? I go, I don't know. And he goes, you're going to speak for me at the uh, Jelly Bean meeting. I go, okay. And so he kind of tricked me because if I would have seen it was his number, right? Tony would have said, I'm busy. I got, I got, you know, a Netflix queue that big that we got to watch, right? But, I mean, I do, I do the things in AA not fantastically, but I do them, right? I don't drink. I don't, I don't use. I go to meetings. I, I, you know, will be of service to next sick and suffering, you know, alcoholic, right? Guys like Russ can come in and, and Jimmy can compare how jacked up we were when we first came in. You know, I, I agree. I think Russ is worse. But anyway, but you know, and so I, you know, I, I have a higher power, and I, I have, you know, I can look at things. I can look at things a little bit different now. I used to have a very, very bad perception a lot of the time. Now it's bad once in a while, but not all the time. I have been blessed with a very long commute to work, and so I often pray on my way to work. And so instead of getting more wound up by the time I get there, I'm I'm less wound up, you know, and I I. Um, I go to meetings. I got back in H and I. It took me a couple months to go from San Fernando Valley to Santa Clarita, but I got back in, in H and I, which is which is great for me. And and so I just kind of do, you know, what the next person in front of me in the AA conga line is doing. And um, I'm really really glad to be here with everybody. And uh, with five seconds left, I'm going to stop now. Thank you for your time. Right there. Uh, leader announces a 10 minute coffee break. And if you smoke, please use the button hands outside. Thank you very much. Yeah. And now the leader introduces the main speaker, Jimmy B. Good evening, family. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Jimmy Byrne. Friday date is March 27th, 2007, and my home group is the High Desert Big Book Group in Lancaster. 
So when Tony talks about his 100 mile road trip, that really holds the water with me. Um, however, I, I'm willing to go to any length uh, to, to stay sober, and uh, that's, what, that's what was asked of me when I got here. And uh, so far, I've, I've been able to do that one day at a time. And, uh, so, so what I will tell you is that if I'd have known that alcohol could make me feel the way it made me feel when I was in kindergarten, I'd probably started drinking then. I'm not one of the ones that says that I, I was an alcoholic when I was born because I don't know. What I do know is that I was bodily and mentally different from my fellows from the get-go, and I knew that. Um, and I, I didn't. Uh, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a late bloomer, so I had some brief things. I don't remember if my if my mom or my or my cousins and uh, or any of them ever gave me sips of their drinks or nothing. I don't remember stuff like that. What I do know is that my first drunk was when I was 12 years old, and, and I walked down to uh, the, the neighbor's house because he was the cool kid on the block, and, and he had all the women and he had all the booze. And then we went down there, and we started playing quarters, and, and I lost. And I remember that we were drinking 10 high, and anybody who's <laughs> old enough to know that 10 high is like the, the ripple of whiskeys. Right, uh, and I, I was drunk, and I remember I went home, and, and uh, that same night before I went over to his house, we went and seen The Exorcist in the drive-in theaters, and we were all really, really scared. At 12 years old, I was a big old sissy, and uh, I remember I went home, and all of the kids were sleeping in one room because we were all afraid because of what we had seen in The Exorcist, except for I was drunk, so I didn't care much, so I had laid down, and uh, we had, they had us all Chris and I was laying next to my sister and I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I had thrown up all over her. And uh, I like to say that I continued drinking after that, but it was a little while. I, I do remember that I swore it off for about a week and uh, and, uh, and I started sipping a little bit here and there and I didn't really start to get into drinking. I got in a lot more trouble than I did drinking. Um, there was definitely a lot of alcoholic behavior before I started drinking. Um, so I was, in, uh, I was in and out of... Uh, you know, jail a lot uh, as a teenager and, and as an adult. So anytime I got out, I would start, you know, I'd drink a little bit. I, you know, I, I did enough of the other stuff to maybe be in the other fellowship, but, I, but I'm first and foremost an alcoholic. And, and I know that because when I, I'm a trash can drunk. So when I used to go to sleep at night, I used to make sure that I had enough money to get me a couple of King Cobras. Uh, that way, when I woke up in the morning, I would have something to drink. And I don't remember doing that with anything else. You know, and I'm not an alcoholic because of the amount that I uh, that I drink. I'm an alcoholic because of what happens to me when I do take a drink. See, something happens to me that doesn't happen. To, who talks about your average temper drinker? That's not what I am. Uh, what what I am is is uh, when I take a drink, I I seldomly remember what it's like when it's over. You know, and uh and it's interesting. So I come from a long line of alcoholics. I uh you know I that's not the reason I'm an alcoholic, but everybody in my family drank, including my mother. She just wasn't one of us. One day she was able to put it down and she was done. You know, and uh, I've always been a little envious of that, you know. Uh, I've never had any kind of control of the, of the amount I consumed or, or what happened afterwards. And, and uh, she was able to put it down, but I remember that uh, there's only two of us, you know, in, in my family that are in the steps, and that's because that's the only thing that's proven to work in my life over the years that, that, that I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and, and it didn't happen right away for me. You know, I got sober. Uh, I, too, am an alumni of the Royal Palms Recovery Center. Uh, and that is not the 12 steps or AA. Uh, I want to point out if you're in treatment, you're not an AA. Uh, you're in a place where you're going to build a little bit of a footing that hopefully they'll recommend you to the, first, the only thing that might be able to save your life, right? Whatever program it is that works for you. For me, it was Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and uh, I didn't know that. So I got in and uh, I went into treatment. 
on April 4th. I remember my last drink was March 26th. I woke up in the morning uh, out of my, my trash can over there in Redondo Beach, and I walked to my mom's house at, at 38 years old, and, and I asked her for five bucks because I wanted to get a 40 and a bag of bugler. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit, prior to that, I had been released on some warrants uh, from jail, so I went by her house, and on the way home from jail, I had bumped into a friend of mine, Charlie, that was in the program, and he had given me a card to the to the to the uh, intake coordinator, and, and I didn't think much of it, but something inside me told me to save the card. So when I got to my mom's house, thinking that my sister and them were going to let me back in the house because I had like two and a half days sober, and uh, and I was for sure cured. I had given my mother the card, and I told her to hold on to this. Uh, so I went back to ask her for the five bucks, and she told me no. And I had never cursed my mother out, but I did that morning uh, because. I needed a drink. I needed a drink, and things weren't going so well for me. And of course, I was living behind the trash can, so so things really weren't going that well for me. But I knew if I took a drink, it would be okay. And I've always felt like that. If I take a drink, things would be okay. I, I had absolutely no problem sleeping inside of a trash can during the winter when it was raining, as long as I had booze to drink to make me feel comfortable. Uh, norm, normal people don't do that. Um, so I went there and I asked for five bucks. She told me no, and I remember telling her to f off. Uh, and that was the first time I had ever did that. And what I did is, I, I had walked across the street. I was living by the South Bay Gallery at the time, and I had walked across the street to the bus stop, boo-hooing and stuff about my life. Oh, poor me. Anyways, so, so I thought about it for a minute, and I remember that I cussed my mom out, and I told myself, you know, I better go over there and apologize while I still can, right? Because I'm quick, even when I'm so, uh, not sober, to make amends, right? Uh, even if they're right or not. And I, I went back over there and I apologized. And when I went back over there to go to apologize, she went, I could see her looking at me through the through the glass. The problem with me is you couldn't have let me inside of your house without me leaving with something every time. And she was looking at me out the glass and, and there was an envelope that was taped to our fence. We had a little fence and, 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 and she had taped it to the fence with a $5 bill, a note saying, please get help in that guy's card. And uh, I didn't know she was going to do that. I don't know if she knew that she was going to do that. But she did it. And uh, she never did open the door, but I did open up the envelope. I, I took the $5, I walked across the street, and I was going to get on the bus because I was on my way to the Royal Palms. And, and uh, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know if you believe in God, I don't, even, I don't know if you know who God is. I don't know who God is, but I know that day something greater than myself had intervened in my life. Because I, when I was at the bus stop, uh, one of the guys that I used to sleep on the streets with, we lived on the side of the 405 freeway, it came up and it had asked me if I could go score him some dope. I, I, I promise I won't talk much about drugs. That's just not my story. So I told him, okay, give me your money. And anybody who knew me uh, knew not to give me their money. So thank God for that intervention. So uh, so, so I told him, give me your money. I'll meet you back here at 130. And he just kind of laughed and left. And if he wouldn't have laughed and left and he gave me that money, you'd have a very different speaker right now. Um, but he didn't. And when he left, I hopped on the bus. I went to the Royal Palms. I... I had two pairs of, well, I, had, I say two pairs of shoes because I had two shoes on. They were both different, right? And I had a pair of pants and a shirt that I had been wearing for two weeks uh, before I had gotten arrested on those warrants. And I hadn't showered in a very long time, but I knew something was wrong in my life, and I wasn't sure that it was Alcoholics Anonymous that I needed. But I knew because I had been in treatment before because I was introduced in Alcoholics Anonymous in 1986 by way of Wayside, right? And I didn't know it was Alcoholics Anonymous. It was an H&I panel. I know that today. But I wasn't reintroduced until 1997 at Bell Shelter. And uh, then I had some guys take me into a meeting and I, that I attended, and I knew what AA was at that point. I wasn't really interested, and I had a big book that collected dust for years. You know, that's not my sobriety date, obviously. But, uh, 
I walked up into the Royal Palms and, and uh, you know, I'm kind of a picky homeless guy, right? A lot of things I won't eat when I'm homeless, right? Like, like pies out of Marie Callender's trash cans are good, but I won't eat tuna, right? So I walked up to the Royal Palms and, uh, you know, they had taken me in and at that time they were kind of in the transition of you have to say you're an alcoholic uh, instead of an addict or you can't get into treatment. They were kind of in the transition of that. And, and I didn't think I was an alcoholic because I just didn't think alcohol was a problem. I just, you know, but I didn't think that I was an alcoholic by definition, which I had no idea what an alcoholic was at that time. And, and uh, they said, if you want to stay here, you have to be an alcoholic. And I told them, well, I'm an alcoholic. You know, because I didn't want to be put back on the streets. I knew there was something was going to happen, and I knew that there was a reason that God had intervened in my life at that bus stop that morning. And it wasn't to go back out there and do the same thing all over again. Right? Because I don't know about you, but I love to drink, and alcohol never, ever stopped working in my life. It did exactly what it was supposed to do until the day I got sober. You know, and that was to knock me off my feet. Right? Uh, some people can, can take a drink and put it down, and they're good for the night. I'm not, I'm not that person. I went in, and I stayed there, and about two hours after they completed my intake, I walked into the manager's office and asked them if they were hiring, right? Because I was a cook by trade. And, uh, and he, he just kind of chuckled me. And what I found out in Alcoholics Anonymous is if you're really new and you go up to somebody who has any significant amount of time and you start talking out of the side of your neck, they're going to go, huh, don't take it personal. That just means that they know you're full of shit, right? And, uh, and I was getting that a lot when I, when I went in there. And uh, I had heard people talking about sponsorship and stuff. And, and I had been listening. I just wasn't doing anything. Thank God this isn't a program of listening. It's a program of action, right? And, uh, and uh, I remember asking some guy, Rob D., uh, to, to sponsor me. I was there about three days, and, and he had told me, well, attend these meetings, and, and then we'll talk about it. And, and we sat together every, every Tuesday and Thursday night, right? Uh, and I remember one night we were sitting there, and there was about six or seven of us inside of a circle, and it was a Tuesday night. We were having a, a sponsorship meeting, and, and I remember telling him that I thought alcohol was my bitch. And he said, are you sure it's not the other way around? Now, I'll tell you, in the two years that I sat around doing nothing in Alcoholics Anonymous, just attending meetings, because, you know, I, I, was under the, I was under the belief that meeting makers make it. Well, that's a great start. The problem is the only thing that meeting makers make are meetings, right? And, uh, I had no idea that there was more to it, right? We, 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 have, we have a circle and a triangle, right? Uh, yet, yet all I'm really doing is sitting around taking the space and asking people for stuff. And, but I had asked and we sat there and uh, the only thing I remember about the book is that it said alcohol is our master. It's the only thing I remembered out of the two years that we sat down every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, I had had, you know, my original home group was the Southwest Solano Club in Hawthorne and, and I had taken some commitments there but I wasn't keeping them because because I had better stuff to do. You know, I kept coming up with these excuses because I wasn't really, I didn't see how me making coffee or shaking your hand could possibly help me stay sober. I didn't understand how being a service to you had any bearing on how much I drank. You know, and what I found out, as long as I was shaking your hand and I was in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't have room to hold a beer. That's, that's the only thing I knew. You know, and uh, I sat with him around two years, we had opened up the book and he had asked me what page I thought I was on or what step I thought I was on. And I told him I thought I was on step four. And he said, why is that? I said, well, I'm on page 65 of the big book. And it's talking about step four. Clearly, I'm there. Right? The only problem is I didn't know that I needed him to do it. Right? And, uh, and he closed the book. And you'll hear a lot of corny sayings when you come in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, one of the things that I had heard is he said, open up the book again and this is what you know. Right? And there was a blank page there. 
And I, you know, and I, and I'm, I've always been arrogant. I'm like, ha, ha, very funny. You know, I, but he was absolutely right. We opened up the book. We got into the steps a little in depth. We didn't just, we didn't, didn't, we didn't get into the steps just reading them off the wall. We, we got into the book, and, and we started reading, and he started pointing some things out to me in my life. And there was a great, there's a great little part of Bill's story. I think, I think the whole book's great, even some of the stories. But it, and there were Bill's life has already become in shambles, and he says how how things gradually got worse. Right? By now he's already ruined everything. And I and I thought about that, that I you know, living behind the trash can as long as I lived behind the trash can, it was for a long time on and off. I had had I had, had brief periods of uh, of recovery. Well not recovery, I'd had brief periods of not drinking, but I always returned to the same old thing that I used to do and, and then there I, I understood it because I, I didn't realize how bad things were until probably after a couple of months I had been sleeping at that same trash can. Then I realized that wow. Gradually, things got worse. I'm, I'm a train wreck. And, and it dawned on me. And we opened up books. It started becoming more clear. And I, I was a little concerned because a lot of the things that I was reading in the big book and the things that it was pointing out, you know, like me being able to transmit to, to others. Because, you know, the book throughout the whole book, it's talking about working with others. Right? And uh, I didn't know that how, I, how I would be able to be a service to somebody else, a maximum service, when I couldn't even commit to anything. My biggest fear was committing to something and not being able to do it. And uh, let me back up a little bit. So when I first went to the, my first outside meeting of treatment was 96.04. And I had walked in, there it was a Monday night at 6 p.m. And there was a gentleman there named Herb King, rest his soul. And uh, I sat next to him. Big mistake. <laughs> so the guy at that time had 53 years sober. And, I sat next to him and I started spitting all this infinite wisdom that I had out about the big book of all the I will tell you that he is not the first person to tell me to sit down and shut up. Uh, and I, I didn't go back to 9604 until they asked me to speak eight years later. And uh, I went over to the South Solano Club and when I got to the front door, you know, that should have been the really the sign. There was this guy, Leroy, this guy, Dwayne, and this girl, Denise, standing at the door. Uh, my cousin had introduced me to Southwest Solano Club, officially, anyways. And uh, they were sitting there, and I remember them welcoming me in, and it was an Easter weekend marathon. And uh, I remember Leroy welcoming me in. You know, he's passed now, but he was one of the old-timers that, uh, that were traditional AA. When you walked in, you didn't wait for them to come up and ask, them ask you to sponsor. The, what you did is the old-timers were out, and they were picking people, telling them, I'm your sponsor. That, and that, that's the AA I grew up in, and it, and it worked. Um, I walked in and Leroy told me, you know, get in my car. I was with another guy from the program. And we got in the car and he took me to Back to Basics on Crenshaw and uh, they were having a marathon meeting. And I remember he took me in there and I'll never forget that. Right? The one thing that I never ever forget in that 12 years sober, we had our own greeting line out here. But Russ was like, who are we going to offend? This isn't our meeting. We're going to set up a greeting line outside. And, uh, so we started setting up a greeting line and started shaking people's hands. And, and that's because that's what I was taught to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Right, because when I came into, when I was going to people's houses, they would chase me away or they would lock the doors. So it was important for me to be able to walk up into, into a place like Alcoholics Anonymous and be welcomed by somebody else. And uh, in turn, I do the same thing. I, even at 12 years sober, I, I don't forget how important that greeting commitment is. Probably more important than anything else. Uh, all commitments are great, but if you don't have a commitment, you don't need somebody to assign you to shake somebody's hand. You know what I mean? And that's the one thing that kept me coming back, and I and I do that today. Uh, Anyways, I, I kept on going there. Like I said, uh, after a couple of years, I wasn't really grounded in Alcoholics Anonymous as much as I, I probably should have been. And uh, 
when people would tell me stuff, I would say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And one day Rob D tells me, he says, uh, you know, it's okay to say I don't know, right? Because I have all the answers. Now, the problem is I can tell you how to stay sober, I just can't stay sober myself, right? And here I am at two years sober, living the same way, just without alcohol, right? See, I'm an alcoholic, uh, uh, I'm a real alcoholic, right? Uh, of the hopeless variety. So even if you remove the alcohol from me, I'm still stuck with myself. Right? And I don't make healthy decisions. The big book says we make a lot of decisions based on self, which later places the decision to be hurt. And I, and I did that over and over and over again. And I made a lot of mistakes in the first few years that I was sober. Uh, the only thing that I didn't make a mistake on is I didn't take a drink. And that was by the grace of God. You know, I'm not one of the, I don't drink no matter what alcoholics because I'm an alcoholic and I will drink no matter what. Uh, but it was interesting. After we had reopened the book and we got into the steps, uh, something had happened in my life, and it was so simple. I, I didn't see it the whole time. It, it was as simple as putting my hand up to somebody else, washing ashtrays, washing coffee cups, telling people welcome, taking a literature commitment, helping set up chairs. You know, that, that was the kind of stuff I ended up doing. And, and even though I didn't feel like I was ready to sponsor yet, because obviously I hadn't been through the steps myself, I found other ways to work with other alcoholics, to be of service. You know, I mean, uh, for the first few years. And I sponsor a couple of guys today, and I don't know that I do that very well. Uh, some of them stay sober, and some of them don't stay sober, and uh, that's not my problem. You know, uh, but I'm so grateful for, for, for my first sponsor, you know. Uh, he showed me how to live without drinking, right? That I had people like him and some people, people like you guys to, to let me know that the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and the program does not teach me how to live inside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I started hibernating in here, right? I was working a job eight hours a day, and I was hibernating in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wasn't taking anything out in my everyday life, right? And then somebody had pointed out to me that the big book doesn't tell you that. The big book says a much more important demonstration of these principles are in your relationships and your occupations, right? And, and, and it's true. I'm able to participate in other people's lives as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous and the big book and, and following directions because I didn't do that very well when I got here and I sit and I watch people grow like, like Tony and Russ and, and, and Tamara and uh, I want to appreciate, I appreciate you and Linda coming out, you know what I mean, I appreciate you too right now, you're with me, I got my cousin and, and, and my buddy back there, you know, and uh, that's what we do at A, you know, as I, I've accumulated some friends and, and uh, I'm not a circuit speaker, but I speak at a few places, and we generally we generally tra travel out together. It's kind of hard to get, you know, you got a lot of friends in AA when you're at your home group. When they find out they got to drive 100 miles, they're like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, and I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I get it. It's a, it's a long way to travel, and, uh, and if you don't want to so stay sober, you don't have to travel that far either. So, you know. Um, but I found out that, see, I have to remember, at my home group, uh, at, the, at the High Desert Big Book, all our speakers come from down under here. They go Laguna Hills, San Diego, Pacific Group, Bellfire, Big Book, the Under the Bridge meeting, uh, out here in Covina, you know, and they come all the way up to Lancaster every Friday night uh, to share their experience, strength, and hope with an alcoholic like me. And I don't want to forget that that's, that's what I have to do in turn. I don't have a choice. I, I do have a choice. If I want to drink again, I don't have to do any of that. But if I want to stay sober, and, I, and, and the only way I get to do that is by working with others, right? At the beginning of Chapter 7, it tells us, practical experience uh, shows nothing ensures immunity from, from drinking, like intensive work with other alcoholics. And it tells us that's the only thing that works. It works when all else fails, you know? And I, I don't ever want to forget that because, you know, it's, it's interesting. So 
<clears throat> so prior to getting sober this last time, I, I skipped this whole part out, but I think it's important to know that I, alcoholics attract who we are. Just so you know that, in case you end up with another alcoholic. Don't, don't try to figure it out. Uh, so while I was in treatment, I fell in love with a girl who was already with somebody else. You know, uh, that's happened a couple of times. The first time, my $40 was gone and she left me. But the second time, uh, the second time we ended up having a kid and, and we fell in love and we did very well for a while until one day I was invited out to the music academy to accept an award for most outstanding student, right, in a, in a culinary arts program that I was in. The only problem is that they had the wrong James. So I was invited out there, and I don't know, maybe that's why I decided to hit their free bar, the imported beers or not. But I had had a drink in a few years at that point. And that was, uh, that was probably around 2001. You know, I had a couple years, I wasn't smoking cigarettes, I wasn't smoking weed, I wasn't drinking. And, and we went there, and I told you I wasn't in the steps when I was first introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, so I didn't really know, I didn't know all that. I just knew that I was, you know, Maybe if I don't touch that other stuff, I'll be okay. You know, right? Because alcohol didn't seem to be the biggest of problems. Biggest, biggest of the problems. And be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't find out about the whole waking up to the two king cobras or notice it until my my sponsor that I have now pointed it out to me. Right. Uh, but I, I, I took a drink. Now my wife was a, was a recovering heroin addict, so she drank a couple of wines. She was a potential alcoholic for sure. Right? But but she didn't take off like I did. I started drinking that night and I didn't stop again until I got sober again in 2007. Uh, and, and I'm a train wreck. I'm, the 12 and 12 talks about that. I'm like a tornado roaring through people's lives. You know, uh, and uh, anyways, we fell in love. We, we went there. She had a couple of things of wine. I had a couple of 12 packs of Heineken. We, we went home. Uh, I continued to drink. I was the production manager, manager at King Drew Medical Center. I went straight from school to there. Uh, and I, I would show up to work, and I was essentially showing up to work to make sure that I, I could drink. We were both working, so the bills were covered. I was letting her handle the money, but I always made sure that I kept enough to where I could drink every day. And I drank every day for a long time, and, and uh, one of the decisions that we made that, that later placed me in a position to be screwed was we made a sudden decision to move to the state of Oregon. So we have a we, – we have – I'm not going to – Give too much brand name. Anyways, we had a, a lady up in Oregon that was like the godmother, godmother of this little Myrtle Creek city, right? And, and she had had a couple of trailers she had confiscated from some people that owed her some double wide mobile homes, and and uh, we had bought them uh, for really really cheap, like twenty five hundred bucks each on the property. And we had bought them. We moved up there. They were really nice. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, I don't think I was out of control yet. Uh, nobody was telling me I was out of control. And back then I was a little bit larger and I. I wasn't quite as flabby because I was doing a lot more work. Uh, but I remember that uh moved up there and thinking that everything was going to be so good. It didn't work out so well. What had happened is my wife had, had decided if she couldn't beat me, she would join me. And uh, looking at the background of her family, who were all chronic alcoholics, right, doomed to die an alcoholic death, uh, she had started drinking. And what she did is she had passed me up. Uh, pretty soon I was getting calls at work. You know, because I got a really good career working at McDonald's. <laughs> was, you know, because I'm a go-getter. I go right to the top. Uh, anyways, so I was working at McDonald's, and they they called me from the local bar. You know, we were frequent there, and uh, they called me, and they told me, you know, uh, can you please come down here? Your wife's causing a ruckus, and she was a very violent drunk. 
you know, she thought you were talking about her. If you smiled at her, she might think you're talking about her. And, uh, and that, she was that kind of drunk. And when I went down there, I would go down there and I'd, I'd try to pull her out. And of course, as you can see from all the scars on my head, that never ended well. Uh, I would get her out of the bar, but it was never without any bloodshed. And uh, they had told me, oh, thank you for getting me out of here. We didn't want her to get hurt. And I, I kept thinking, I told you once again, I'm kind of sarcastic. And I was telling them, I didn't come here to save her. I came here to save you guys. Right? And that's really what I went there for because I already knew. Even though she might get stopped by some police, she was going to tear that place up because it had already been proven. And I went there and we got her out. And that went on for a very, very long time. And I used that as, a, as an excuse to accelerate everything that was going bad in my life. I figured if you were going to do it and you were going to cause me this kind of pain, I was going to make it worse. Um, what I did is one night I, I got so bad that I went back to the house while she was passed out and I had stole everything that she and my daughter had owned and took off with their car for a couple of days. And uh, not much had changed after that. And, uh, you know, after a few days, I went back to her and she had told me, uh, why would you do something like that to me? And I told her, I'm an alcoholic, I can't help it. <laughs> right, because that's my excuse. Yeah, but that's what alcoholics do. Right, that's a great cop-out, right? And uh, she forgave me and, and, and I did it again after a night when she got drunk again and she had multiple DUIs and I was paying all the bills and I felt like it was her I felt like it was her fault. And uh so one day she got real mad and I decided to burn the godmother the godmother of Myrtle Creek for everything she had. Uh, and uh and I and I ran out of town because I knew that there was a place down here where I could come and I could build me a foundation where I wouldn't have to drink again. Now I didn't know that was AA. Uh, but I knew if I came down here that treatment would take me back in because don't you know who I am, right? And uh, I came down here and it didn't work like that because I didn't make it, I didn't even make it to the house that I was supposed to be going to before I stopped to get loaded. You know, and that's always been the story of my life. So I always have something else planned. Things never ever go the way I want them, right? And that's because I'm never ever letting God run the show. I'm always trying to make these decisions on my own and, and thinking that I have a different answer. I know what I have to do this time. Just don't drink as much. Right? In chapter 3, at the, you know, more about alcohol, it talks about it in the back of changes that we make. Right? I never, ever drank a glass of wine that had any grapes in it. Right? Cisco, Night Train, Thunderbird, Whiteport. You know, and I knew if I drank wine, it would be better than me drinking beer or hard alcohol. And, uh, and it was always the same. It never, ever changed. You know, and... Uh, I stayed on the streets for a couple of years. You know, I, I had my daughter up there, and, and uh, I had some decisions to make. I would get my GR, and I had a choice to send her some money or spend my money on a motel room with some alcohol. And, uh, and I don't have to tell you that alcohol at a motel room always overwanted. And if I didn't have enough for a motel and alcohol, I would sure drink alcohol and slept on a trash can because I was okay with that as long as I was drunk. So... I told you, so that's where I picked up, and I did the whole thing with my mother, and I got the five dollars from her, and I went into treatment, and uh, and uh, and I used the first two years that I was there as my program of recovery, rather than my employment. Um, I still work in treatment. I run a treatment center not very far from here, and uh, I don't I don't make the mistake of thinking that that is my program. That is my job. I get paid to do. If I didn't get paid, I wouldn't show up there. Right. But the one thing that I do, and I make sure I make no mistakes when I do it, is I show up to Alcoholics Anonymous and I, and I be as useful as I can to, uh, to the suffering alcoholic. Because I understand what it was like me when I got here. You know, I, I, I was afraid. I was afraid. People weren't asking me to come speak. You know, I, 
It's kind of interesting. That same man, Herb King, eight years later, they had asked me to come and speak. Uh, my cousin had asked me to come and speak in 9604 and on a Wednesday night, and it was interesting because I knew he would be there, right? Um, and his mind was kind of going. So at this point, he was probably around 60 years sober. Uh, and, and I remember giving uh, my talk and talking about him, and I remember him just kind of like smiling a little bit, shaking his head. And he wasn't doing well. You know, he's passed now, but... Uh, I remember after the meeting, he started talking to me, and I remember who I was, and I had seen him in between that, but in, you know, when I was speaking, it was like a little bit different. He knew who I was, and he remembered, and I remember him walking up to me, and he couldn't remember if the meeting had started already or if it was over, but I do remember what he was doing is he started quoting to me out of the big book. There's a, there's a great saying. I, for whatever I said that night, there was a great saying. We were just discussing it at one of our topic meetings the other night. On page 87, it says, what used to be a hunch or an occasional inspiration gradually became a working part of the mind. And uh, he started telling me this stuff, and then he looked at me and he said, what time does the meeting start anyways? <laughs> and uh, I, I told him, Herb, I said, we're having the meeting right now. You know, and uh, to have experienced, you know, I, I'm attracted to the old timers, the ones that got the message, not the ones that are sitting around here using the newcomers. I'm talking about the ones that have been here some years and they're in the, in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, because you can go to AA meetings now and start talking about hey, hey, and people get offended. I don't know if you've ever been to meetings like that. Uh, but it was it was a good feeling to be able to go back and share my experience, strength, and hope for real this time, instead of going in there thinking at 32 days I had all the answers about alcoholics and honors, when at 32 days all I really wanted you guys to do were make some changes to it, right? Where I wouldn't have to be as, as much a service to everybody else. Uh, that way it didn't take up my time because I, I got things to do, right? And I've been able to do that. You know, Clancy was the first person I ever told to go F himself. Because I went to, oh, Clancy loved it. Anyways, he, he thrives on that, just in case you don't know. I, believe me, for those of you who know him. So I was sitting there one night. I went to a, it was a speaker meeting, and I had to go to the bathroom. And, you know, he doesn't like when you get up and go to the bathroom when he's speaking. And, and he made that clear, and uh, I told him to go F himself. And, uh, and I seen him not too long ago. He spoke in my own group, and he just, you know, he's, uh, he, he's not doing very well either. But people tend to remember me for what I say, for whatever the reason is. I'm involved in Alcoholics Anonymous today, you know, I uh, not just showing up to meetings, but I have commitments at all the meetings I go to. I, I sponsor some guys and I got some friends that, you know, they came down with me and we had dinner and, you know, and uh, I told you that's how we do it. I'm able to show up to an alcoholics meeting no matter where I go in the United States. You know, you hear it all the time. I haven't been out of the country yet. I hear there's some good meetings in, in the other 180 countries that they have at, but I, I, uh, I took my daughter to Corvallis uh, uh, a couple of years ago. She was going to school at Oregon State, and, and uh, I was a little nervous. You know, if those of you who continue to go to meetings and you do them regularly, you'll find out when you're not in a meeting, you start getting a little shaky, almost like you're detoxing, right? And uh, I had been up there in Oregon, and I had to hit a meeting in a few days. And you know, I, you know, my mom's my mom my mom's my trudging buddy, right? Nobody suffered more than she did in my life uh, while I was drinking. I, I know that today. And, uh, and I told her, man, this is getting crazy. So I had just bought an iPhone, you know. I'm, I'm an Android person, uh, or used to be. I'm, a, I'm an iPhone person now. And I, I, I decided to try out Siri, and I said, hey, Siri, I, I found a, their meeting directory for that part of Oregon. And, and they told me where the meeting was. It was on Bain Street. And I was thinking, great, now i got to find Bain Street. And, and I Googled it and, uh, or uh, asked Siri about it, and Siri popped up and said, 235 feet on the right. 
And I thought that was interesting. When I looked out of my hotel room, the Albany Alano Club was right outside of it. And, uh, and things like that have worked in my life in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time. It's like, you know, I can't explain a lot of the things in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I found out is I don't have to try to figure it out. Well, the, all I need to do is the next indicated step. See, there's not, there's not multiple messages in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's got one message, and it says that we recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. That means everybody. Women, men, LGBTQ, uh, black, white. It doesn't matter. Everybody gets to recover today. All right? And uh, for, the, for those of you who can do it on your own, my, you know, my hat's off to you. I, that's just not my story. You know, I, when I sit down in a, in a, I talk to my sponsors, he's, he's interesting. Uh, my sponsor's very busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. He's also an ass, right? And you can't say, and he's, and he's one of the greatest sponsors I've ever had. But, you know, if you like your sponsor, he's probably not doing a good job. I'm just saying. Right. And, uh, and he, uh, he, so he tells me, and I, I, pass, I pass everything on to Russ. You know, I sponsor Russ, so. Everything that my sponsor passes on to me that's sarcastic, I pass on to him. So one day I tell my sponsor about all this service work I did for somebody, he said, imagine how good it'll feel if you do it and don't expect anything in return. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a rude thing to say, right? <laughs> so Russ comes to me one day and says, you know, I, I've been praying for these people. And uh, I said, that's great. And uh, of course, I tell him, just imagine how good it'll be when you don't tell people that you're praying for them. Right? <laughs> and, uh... And we have a lot of fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, next month I'm going to be going to Palos Verdes. I go out with a bunch of guys out of the Bellflower Big Book Group, and, and we do a, a, a Big Book retreat up there. You know, and I, and I do that every year. And, uh, I go to meetings no matter where I'm at, because I don't want to forget what it's like to be able to reach my hand out to the newcomer, because it scares me to death. Now, I know there might be a lot of people under the impression that that fear will leave you completely when you get sober. Me and anybody else that's in Alcoholics Anonymous no matter how much time time they have, will tell you that's a lie, right? What it'll do is it'll show you how to live through those fears, right? The big book, like I said, teaches you how to live life without having to take a drink when stuff like that happens in your life, right? I, there's a story in the book, the big book called "A Man Who Mastered Fear," and and that was my saving grace because I was thinking, well, with all this good work I'm doing for all these people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Why am I still afraid that if I get loaded, I'll be homeless? Well, because if I get loaded, I'll be homeless. Right? But what I found out is that if I live off of that same fear, I'll be drunk by tomorrow. My, my, pastor, already, my pastor already shows me that. There's no happy medium for me. I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to look and pick up my cup and go, eh, maybe. I'm, I'm going to drink it. If I, if I start drinking, I'll continue drinking. Um, and I don't want to be like that anymore. i got a lot of good friends in my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm so grateful that Gary uh, asked me to come out. I, I know he got a, a little bit of a word from somebody I work with. And uh, from what I understand, the people that came last week were also from the Royal Palms. And the people that will be coming next week are from the Rubinos. <laughs> but we're all sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're here and you don't have any commitments, you know, and you're sponsoring yourself, try to remember your sponsor's an idiot. You're not a sponsor yourself. Find find somebody, because anybody that's got any kind of time that's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous will let you know, you know, if you need help, put your hand out and ask. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and most of the time you won't have to ask. Don't be afraid to ask for help. If you've been in here and you're suffering and you've been suffering for la however long you've been drinking and you can't figure out why you can't stay sober, 
uh, and you have you haven't been in the steps, so you're just sitting in meetings, you're not going to get it. That's fine. You want to sit in meetings? I think that's great because as long as you're in here, you're not drinking unless you're in the back of the water bottle that has vodka in it. Um, I did that too. You know, but if you're if you really want to get sober and you really want to experience the benefits of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're going to get a sponsor, you're going to get into the steps, and more importantly, you're going to be a service to other people, right? Because it's already been proven, right? We can't rest on our laurels. I don't know how many times I've tried to get sober based on my decisions uh, and, and ended up drinking again. I've had a lot of times, you know, I mean, I've had nine months here, I've had six months here, I've had, you know, I, 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 I've had time over and over and over again, I've been in five treatment centers, and treatment never, ever helped me get sober. All it did was just remove the drink for a minute, and that doesn't mean that I couldn't have drank while I was in there. I've been in prison. I could have drank in prison. You know, uh, I, I just, I, I'm a program winner. That means that when I'm under somebody else's roof with some structured treatment, that all that means is that I don't have to take a drink. But every time I left, I made sure I was loaded on the way out, right? So by that, why it's so profound for me now in Alcoholics Anonymous is that I didn't know that when I when I got in Alcoholics Anonymous that things were going to be so good for me. I just didn't get it right away. You know, in the spiritual experience, it tells me I'm, I'm the educational variety. It, I develop over a slow period of time. And it was proven. You know, I mean, uh, I've seen so many, so many people die from this illness. Right? I, just, I always try not to correct people. I was going to correct Tony when he's up there, but my sponsor told me not to do that anymore. But uh, now that he's not speaking, I'm just going to say that the big book only talks about a disease once in the whole book. And it says we suffer from all sorts of spiritual diseases. That's it. It doesn't say we suffer from a disease. It says we suffer from a spiritual illness that only a spiritual experience will, will, will solve. Right. So if I'm suffering from spiritual malady, then, then, then it appears that I might want to tap into something uh, more powerful than myself to help me get sober. You know, and uh, I do that a lot. I, I, my, my home group is very literature-based, and I got, I got to... I try not to do that to people. I just like to share my experience on stuff like that because I believe that misdirection will kill you. The big book says a lot of things, and uh, you know, anywhere from from powerless, which you which you use one time in the first step, you don't use the word powerless again in the whole book. You know what I mean? And, and I understand that 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 now that I'm sober a little bit and I and I've tapped into a power greater than myself to help me solve all of my problems, I am no longer powerless because I run in line with God's. God's power. That way I don't have to be powerless, right? Because I know what it's like to not be able to reach my hand up uh, or be a service to anybody because I'm so gone up here uh, that none of you matter, right? And then when, when I'm down and out and I'm running out of alcohol and nothing's going so well and, and I'm sleeping underneath the cardboard box in an alley or something like that, I, I come to you guys crying for help and this is the one place I can walk into and nobody will kick me out no matter how bad I do. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has been good for me did pretty good. I spoke for almost a whole hour before. That's pretty good. I told him I was going to throw in some really good Gallagher jokes before I started, but I changed my mind. I, I don't want to put anybody to sleep. I'm so grateful to be here at Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I always say if I have to start coming up with stuff to talk about, that I should probably stop. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to thank everybody for uh, making a 12-step call on me. I want to thank Gary for asking me to come out. I want to thank Chris for Secretary me and everybody that was setting up when I got here. Um, if you want to find a good meeting, a good meeting is where you're going to show up and the secretary doesn't show up in five minutes till she shows up an hour before the meeting starts and people are setting up and shaking other people's hands. Uh, that's how you know you're at a good meeting, right? When people are talking about AA and reaching their hand out to you to let you know that we found a way to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. 
Uh, so don't leave here without putting your hand out or asking for help because uh, you don't have to lose alone. Thanks.